Dear Shooter, As we approach Labor Day in the end of summer, many of us are getting in these last few range sessions before hunting season. The days may be cool, but training opportunities are still red hot. Of course I'm happy. Okay. Just checking because I'm like getting the stink eye here. Go do your thing, but get good at your craft first and put your budget to things that really matter at the end of the day. You want to get good at it. And make no mistake about it, that's training. Let's face it. If you have a size 62 waist, you are not as tactical as 5'11 might think you are. And we've all seen it. <laughs> Welcome to the Deer Shooter Podcast. I am your host, Jason Crotto. Deer Shooter is brought to you by WyoTac, Empowerment Through Self-Reliance, and Lucid Optics, on target, under budget. And good morning on this Thursday, approaching Labor Day, and I hope everybody's doing well and had a good summer. Um, I think we all did. Did we really have summer? Well, it was on a Tuesday. Ah, I like that day. So uh, a lot of things going on as we kind of wrap up the summer season, or at least the official one. Um, You and I just completed a couple of, of advanced pistol courses. We've got... Ballistic Summit coming up, uh, VHA, Vet Healing Adventures right after that. Um, I know the USCCA Expo is coming up. There's there's still a lot going on. Falls when my schedule starts to really compound and become unmanageable. Between the events that we run and getting geared up for hunting season, I am am busy almost every waking moment doing something for work. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I I kind of noticed that today. I uh, I started out my day relatively early, and and uh, you know five thirty rolled along, and I was still hot and heavy into it. Well, I took Saturday to come and train with you guys. Um, Rob Pink has put on an excellent class, um, challenged me quite a bit, but I found myself really behind on the stuff I should have got done on the weekend. I think we all do. I'm still trying to play catch up from the vacation and then come back and it was right back into training. But your face, you accomplished color. <laughs> I was like a tomato. That thing was not nice. So, dear shooter, take sunscreen to the range. I did. You need to actually put it on. He did, but we did have a student uh, that was in that class and by the end of the day he wore a V-neck shirt and he was purple. He missed a spot. Uh, yeah. Like, bad. <laughs> and for the record, I did reapply twice. It just, I was in the middle of the range and got cooked. There's just no way around it. No, and that was, and not only was it good training, and, and we, uh, over the weekend, I, uh, with Rob's classes, I ended up doing three courses back to back to back. I, I taught uh, the an IDS course on Friday, and Rob came up and Saturday, Sunday, we did advanced pistol handling and unorthodox shooting positions, which are the uh, the next steps to the IDS course. Now, IDS, explain that for folks that don't know. Okay, so that's the Intuitive Defensive Shooting Program. Um, it's, it's Rob's core curriculum. Uh, I teach the fundamentals version, which is a one-day. Um, it used to be a two-day, but we've, we've changed it to a one-day. 
and it it all focuses on counter ambush methodology, neuroscience, biomechanics, uh, to make you as efficient as possible in 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 a gunfight. All right. Okay. Now Saturday we did the advanced pistol handling. That was the one that you did with us. That class was was really good. Crazy in the the things that you're asked to do in the really off chance that you get injured or in a incapacitated partially way. Um things you would never ever think of on your own to do. Um good practice. One of those outside liar skill sets, though, I'm not sure I'll practice it every day. It's good to know that I can do it if I have to, but the likelihood of me having to use that, um, I mean, heaven forbid I get into a gunfight. Right. Heaven forbid that I get injured and have to do a weak side, one-handed reload. Those things suck. Yeah, they do. What, what was the most challenging aspect for you? Um... This will be timed. Yeah. No. <laughs> there was no timer. I hate the timer. Um, the challenging aspect for me was going from gross motor skills of hitting center mass to then weekend and having to make a precision shot. Mm-hmm. Um, practice what you suck at, right? Mm-hmm. But, yeah, that was the challenging thing for me is the transition from fast gross motor skills to a precise shot. Um and they did something in the, the back end of the class that I was very uncomfortable with. I'm, I'm not much of a pistol shooter. Um, I can do it, and I can get my way through it. But we went to rifle distances with a pistol, and right. I was uncomfortable with that one. Yeah, the, it, it was the unreasonable distance. And and it was prefaced, prefaced with, you know, and, and, and the whole thing was, um, as a shooter, you need to know what your limitations are. And, and that was the whole point behind that exercise was, you know, understanding the distances that you can really be effective from. From the distances we shot at, I'm not effective at all. No, no. It was a it was a shotgun pattern on that target. Mm-hmm. Um, to be fair, I mean, we were we were trying to make, uh, you know, make a hit into an eight inch box from about eighty yards. Um, it, it was difficult. I think I think out of six of us, three of us got in the box. I hit paper once. I every shot hit the earth, but I hit paper once. <laughs> that is kind of a minute of earth distance. It was yeah, pathetic for me. So after that, we did, uh, and and you weren't there for Sunday's class. That was the unorthodox shooting positions, and that really got into the weeds of of things that are uh, very experiential and very highly unlikely. Uh, to happen some some of the positions we've got into some of them I, I can actually see being uh, you know especially in today's world I, I can see them being more appropriate to train uh, one of those was you know the the one-handed and the weak-handed shooting uh, in the context of, of vehicle training I, I can kind of see those being more applicable than than some of the other things that we trained because a lot of it was talking about being injured being in a compromised position um, things that are, are pretty unlikely, but it's nice to know that you have, you at least have that reference if you ever, God forbid, get into that situation. Well, the, the things that he puts you through in both of those classes make you realize and actually process the idea that you have to be dead to be out of the fight. Right. Well, and I've always, I've always said that. Like, that's one of the things I try and reinforce to my students. The only way you lose is if you quit or you die. 
and and having these skills, however unlikely that it is that I will need them, um, gives me that one more step that I don't have to quit. I will say for the guys out there listening, if you want to challenge yourself, um, take your pistol, the one you think you're comfortable with, and take an advanced pistol handling class. Um, and then evidently the unorthodox shooting positions even furthers that cause. Mm-hmm. Um, most of us go to the range and we practice marksmanship, right? We want to make sure we can make those tight little groups on paper and maybe even we practice time. But when you have to do things weak-handed and affect manipulation that way, it is definitely a challenge. Right. And a couple of things that I did with this class specifically, um, I I wanted to, uh, and I'm, I'm going to throw a plug out here, I, I, I wanted to run the PD-10. So I ran the pistol that I ran during the Recondo class that I still have not cleaned. So how many rounds did that gun? Uh, at this point, about 1,200. And it's running strong. It's getting a little gritty at this point. Um, when well, that's, I, that's understandable, but it's still functioning. It's still running. That's a testament. It really is. It is, and it, and, and it it's not like I was easy on it. We were down. We had a couple of really good rainstorms that came through, so we were in the mud, in the grit. Um, things got into the action. Uh, it, it got used, and, and my whole goal, and I, I, I told this to Rob, I said, I want to run this thing till it stops because I want to see just how much it can take. That's a good test. I don't advocate people do that on a regular basis, but it is a good test to know what your gear can and can't do. Right, right. And, and, I, and I do that because I have the relationship with Rob that once it does, if I do break something with it or whatever, you know, I know, I know he's going to take care of me and, and help me to get it fixed and back running, but I, I, I still want to know. Like, I want to know what it takes. He's just using you as a test monkey. He is, and that's fine. I'm, I'm totally cool with it. But um, day one... During the advanced pistol, we had three PD-10s on the line. All of them performed great. None of, none of them went down. The second day, we had two PD-10s on the line, and and both of them finished strong. So, you know, say what you will, that, but, but that was the gun, or, or maybe I should back up and say this is the training that this gun was designed around. So going through it, um, you know, the gun does exactly what it's supposed to do. Well, outside just functioning, the gun has the t- the tools and things in the right place for the right actions. Um, it is really well thought out. Mm-hmm. It's a little skinny for my preference, but it's really well thought out from a manipul- from a manipulation standpoint. Agreed. And one of the things that I noticed about it right away was the way the ba- magazine base plates were designed, and they have a little hook on the front. And I knew exactly what it was for when I when I got it, but until I went through that advanced pistol handling and doing the one-handed reloads and having to strip that magazine without having a second hand, having that hook on the magazine makes a huge difference. It does. Gravity doesn't always work. No, not when you've got stuff jammed up in the chamber and, and now you've got the slide putting pressure on the magazine. It doesn't come out. Now, when it's not experiencing an induced malfunction, and we did that quite a bit, but... The gun ran just fine, and gravity does strip that magazine out if you run it right. Right. If you rob gravity of its angle, I get it now. Yep. I'd been doing it wrong for years. 
workspace is not a thing. That's right. Now, uh, one of the things that I that I did notice about it because I've I've done some of these drills before, and and one of the things that we did was we actually, uh, you know, somebody else would load your magazines, and they would put pieces of empty brass in in your in the magazine to induce that malfunction. Now, one of the things that I noticed on the line is anybody that was not running a PD10 was having slide malfunctions, either failure to feed, failure to eject, something of that nature, and and that was the malfunction that would stop the slide. The PD-10s, however, for whatever reason, seemed to chamber that empty brass just fine, and I would I would get a click. Yeah, a, fa- a failure to, to function. Mm-hmm. Um, my HK VP9 ran pretty flawless. I was pretty proud of that one. I have an old school one, though. Mm-hmm. And my rear sight does, gives me no love when I have to do a one-handed rack. No. So how did you solve that? I used the breech face. Gotcha. Or I kicked the slide and got it back into battery. Right. But all things that Rob taught me in the class, because as soon as he outlined how this was done, I raised my hand because I, I can't do that with the rear slide. <laughs> How'd he, that go? <laughs> and he giggled. And he took my gun from me and then pulled me aside and showed me a couple things I could do. And when we got back on the line to actually execute what we're talking about, it made sense. And it was actually really intuitive to use the breech face. Right. Um, So it worked really, really well. Right. So uh, other than that, you know, one of the other things we got coming up, um, you know, we got got the Labor Day weekend. And then immediately after, we will all be leaving um, to go to Raton, New Mexico, to Whittington Center for this year's Ballistic Summit. Yes, it's going to be good this year. We've got a great mix of sponsors. We've got a healthy mix of media. Um, I'm going to take the media and put them into small competitions. We've got a professional air gun shooter coming out. All the media are going to take him on in a bench rest. We've got a semi-pro three-gunner coming out. He's going to run them through a stage and see how much they hate the clock. And then we got a, a PRS guy coming out, um, and he's going to run them all through a a stage to show them what pressure is like behind a bolt gun. Getting the riders engaged is going to be really, really fun to watch, and it should make great content because I'm going to tell you now, none of these guys, even if they go to the range and train, don't train this way in multidiscipline. So they're going to be outside their comfort zone at some point. Right. It's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it um, to an extent because I know what happens when we go to this every year. I end up being a range monkey. Which is fine. Interestingly enough, as you say that, while I will use you as a range monkey, we have other guests that are coming that I'm going to be using as range monkeys as well. So the pressure is going to be taken off of you. Sweet. You get to manage my three-gunner. <laughs> really? Yep. <laughs> all you, buddy. <laughs> now, all right. So I'm going to make my request right now. I want a backpack with a leash on it. Okay. Careful what you ask for. <laughs> I didn't say I, I didn't say I was wearing the backpack. I don't care who it's for. It's going to be funny. And and I'm going to take one of those dog stakes, and I'm going to stake him down. That'll be fun. We should do that. <laughs> He's a big boy, though. I'm not sure you could that stake a holding. I don't know. I tell you what. The last picture you showed me, he has lost a lot of weight. Good he, on him. He got in shape. Yeah. He used to be a, a cage fighter. Yeah. So good luck getting it on him. Yeah. Well. Anybody can get him. I'm going to put the pink unicorn on the back. That'll be fun. We need to do this. It'll be fun. We can tase him. You can tase him because when he wakes up, he's going to think about who did that. I'm going to have him tied down by the time he wakes up. <laughs> You're going to need to. 
So okay, so we got we got media coming. We've got we got an air gunner. We got a three gunner. We got a PRS guy. Um, who who else you got coming? Who who are your manufacturers this year? So I've got um, a unique gun oil guy that uh, has some cleaning stuff that and some glass cleaner. Um, Modern Spartans coming out. Um, written ones coming back. He's got some unique mounting solutions for tourniquets and safety gear. Okay. Um, focusing on medical, obviously. Um, we have uh, Lone Star Medics coming out. They're going to impress upon us the importance for medical training in everything we do. Always exciting. Um, we have Accurate Mag. They're going to be showcasing their new chassis gun. Okay. Uh, so a precision rifle, right? Um, APF is showing up. They've got some unique caliber ARs. That they're painted up all nice and pretty. They're in the office. You should stop by and see them. Oh, yeah. Um, outside that, Bills and Arms is going to be there. And... <sighs> Billy won't exactly tell me what he's bringing. All he'll tell me is it's going to be new and it's going to be cool. Okay. And after seeing the uniqueness of his buttstock from last time, I'm intrigued because these are full rifles now. He's not playing around with just accessories. Okay. So that'll, that'll be interesting. Um, Tenth Mountain Whiskey is going to come out. And, I mean, this is one of those events that pretty much everybody drinks whiskey. Yeah. But they're going to show us how to pair their beverage with some tobacco. Um, Colander from Alaska is going to bring a selection, and we're going to learn a little bit of how to make those flavors work. Okay. Um, outside that, Lucid Optics is going to be there showcasing a couple new things um, in the blue, um, a couple new things in some magnified optics as well as some of the more combat-oriented stuff. Um, but one of the things that it's going to be interesting to see and watch is going to be TMVC when they show up with their night vision. We have brokered space on the star range to do a night shoot if they want to. Okay. Um, when I pitched it to Shane, he was more interested in watching stars with night vision, showing that off to the media to show them how cool that is. <laughs> I want to shoot with it. Right. So we'll see how that all turns out. I do, too. I do, too. And, I, and, and I'm, I'm hoping being able to have a conversation with those guys face-to-face, -face, we can get some demo stuff for the long-range shoots next year. Don't forget, Ballistic Summit, you have a midnight curfew. I Andrew's just can't. not there. Yeah, I can't. It's just, that's just with your brother. Yeah, Andrew's not there. Th those rules no longer apply. I didn't say they still didn't apply. I just put him in there as an additional rider. No, wait, 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 wait. Let's back up. Curfew. No, back up, back up, back up. Because <laughs> when, this is, when this curfew was originally set, it was I am not allowed to hang out with your brother either one after midnight. Unless supervised. Okay. So All now right. you're going to hang now, out. Okay, so now we got conditions. I have sister-in-laws for that crap. I don't have to be there. All right, so for the listeners, where this all came about, I believe it was the, was it the first year or the second year of Summit? Third year. And uh, Brandy's brother was there. He was He was working for Lucid Optics at the time. And somehow or another, and... I, I'm I'm not going to say that alcohol was not involved, but we ended up um, backing his truck off of a semi sort of cliff three miles from the the competitor housing where we were staying. So at three o'clock in the morning, um, and and kudos to your clairvoyance because you called me thirty seconds after we got stuck. Um. To ask me where I was because I had a class to teach in four hours, 
You're being so nice. She didn't ask. Well, no. Um, and the conversation ended with you just sleep where the hell you're at and screw you and hung up. That's what I heard. Um, in the next room. <laughs> yeah. So I was kind of sort of in trouble. And I come sneaking into bed about 3.30 in the morning after we had hoofed it three miles. So we get up early the next morning. I drag your brother out of bed. We hook onto my truck, get out there, pull his truck out of the ditch, get back to the pods. And by this time, you had gotten up and showered and were drinking your first cup of coffee going through emails. But I was not finished with that first cup of coffee. You weren't, but you were still livid from 3 o'clock in the morning. So... She's kind of still mad about it now. Uh, okay, but she was mad at me until she started going the list. Because first, she thought I was with you. And when I said nope. no, she assumed I was with Jason Atkins of the Wyoming Way. No. Well, then who were you with? I was with your brother. And all of a sudden, the demeanor and the conversation changed. Well, the expectations of reasonable adulting went away. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's how that that's how the curfew came about but you don't have to worry about me now i'm a responsible adult <laughs> <laughs> that and the fact that she now has paperwork on you she does so the, the, the mindset's a little different it is i had paperwork on him then too but we were married, we married yet then no i don't think no i don't think we, we were, were not that's what Andrew took him up in the hills to talk to him about. That, that is the, true. The new-to-be brother-in-law was going to set this boy straight on how to treat his sister. And I don't think it went that way. Well, you can't back off of a pretty high-ditch embankment and continue a conversation. Well, you've seen the road to the ELR range. Yeah. That's not a place to affect a U-turn, a Y-turn, or a 23-point turn. <laughs> That's just not that road. No. Just back down. Again, dark, that's not that road either. I'm not sure he could have gone backwards walking at that point. That's a valid point. And, and yeah, that was so, okay, so curfews now. Let's just say shenanigans should be a little bit less. No. Good. No. You have Ellison and Tun Jones. You're going to tell me that shenanigans are less. Oh, no, they'll be different. They won't, I guess you're right. They're, they're going to be different, not less. Because you forgot to mention that Pyramid Air was coming. Yes. So, well, they're bringing Ton Jones. Um, Air Force Air Guns is going to be the sponsor in Pyramid Air of the air, the air gun side of things. So I didn't mean to neglect them as sponsors, and I did do that. Thank you for correcting me. But shenanigans. Oh, there's going to be heavy shenanigans. Yep. Uh, it, there always is. That's a that's a hallmark of Summit and why everybody wants to come back so bad. It's incredibly social and by design. Um, I designed this event specifically because when I got started as making optics into the, the, the shooting sports world, none of the riders would talk to me. And I wasn't EOTech or Trigicon, right? I was a nobody. And that went on for several years. And I got frustrated. But then I got to know some writers, and I got to know other manufacturers, and I saw them have the same struggles. So why not take my friends in the media and put them together with folks that need some help manufacturer-wise, getting, getting the word out, force them to live together for a couple of days and become friends? 
It works. Force them to become friends. There's a lot of folks that come to this with a preconceived notion of who Rob Pincus is. And you get Rob away from media and personalities, and he changes just a little bit. He softens up and becomes somewhat human. And I hope you're listening, Rob. <laughs> Another one you failed to mention is Avidity Arms will be on site with Rob Pincus. So the yeah. next time we talk about Summit, Brandy's going to go ahead and do the, the layout because, yeah, I forgot Avidity Arms, probably because he hasn't paid for his slot yet. But we'll get there. <laughs> <laughs> He's waiting for my check to clear. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, I think that I think that's what it is. And I, and I made sure I, I handed him a check the other day. So, and, and but he, he lost that check. He thought he did, but we're, we're good. Okay. So as soon as that check clears, you'll get paid. Don't worry. Um, oh, I ain't worried about it. I'll get it out of Rob. <laughs> so okay, so ballistic stuff, and 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 that's not all that's going on. Like we have a lot going on, but. And, Ballistic Summit, you know, we talk about it because it's it's your event. It's it's your big event for the year. Um, now, this is a invite-only event. So I, I, I want the listeners to still be able to participate in the shooting world. So going on at the same time, this is the, I guess it'd be the first full week in September. It starts, what, the 8th, 7th, 8th, something like that? You're talking about the USCCA conference. That's right. Yes, that starts the 8th. Um, So as far as I know, that's open to the public. It's uh, similar in format to, like, the NRA show. It's a trade show. It's a shot show um, for uh, defensive firearms. Um, USCCA has made it a pretty decent little show. Um, I'd love to be able to go. They, They schedule it on my summit time every year. I, I know because I, I was actually just talking to to a couple of friends of mine in the industry today, um, and they were both asking me if I was going to be there. And I'm like, well, no, unfortunately, I have uh, previous obligations. Um, but yeah, that's one I've always tried to get to, and 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 I it, I'm kind of bummed because it used to be in November, um, and then they moved it forward, probably because of travel and holidays and things like that. It just bumps too much into Thanksgiving, Christmas, and shot show, right? Right. Um, you get too close to those, and nobody does anything. Nope. So uh, immediately after ballistic, we get back, and you you guys are jumping straight into vet healing adventures. Hunting season will have, for me, for the most part, begun at that point. I have to get tuned up and ready to take twenty four vets. Um, let's see. I'm asking. I thought for you just said thirty three. Thirty three is a um. Total. All antelope, that's other species, oh, but I, gotcha. I think you have 25. 25 vets for the antelope hunt. So mm-hmm. we bring disabled vets out and let them forget their daily for a while and take them on an antelope hunt. Um, where we live, antelope's not hard. It just comes down to how picky you are. Right. Right. But it's, it's less about the going and killing and more about the hanging out with folks who understand. Right. Right. And I'm, I'm actually excited. Um Actually, today, um, I was able to make some arrangements so that I will be able to actually be there and, and, and help. And I'm, and I'm excited because this is the first year I'm able to kind of put my full time and, and, and effort and energy into it. Nice. Cool. I have some paperwork that needs finished up. Excuse me? Well, his handwriting is prettier than mine, so. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what moon man language you write in. Although, it's not even so much your writing, it's your spelling. Oh, I can't spell. No. Uh, don't ever be delusional thinking that phonics work for me. No. No. 
No. Uh, so uh, doctors and engineers, you can't read anything they write, and that's why they do everything on a computer. Valid. I mean, I thought they had a class for that. Oh, your penmanship is too good. You need to take anti-penmanship 101. <laughs> they you teach you the course. What, you write in Sanskrit? <laughs> Maybe. It's more clear than half the stuff I write. So, so Vet Healing Adventures. Uh, give it. Give us a little background on that. You know how it got started. What What exactly you do with the program? Well, um, that's a real simple thing. I got asked to be a guide for a different organization, and they do something similar. They're more focused on the fundraising and stuff like that. Um, and I watched them and helped them for several years. And when I got to run one of my own for them, I got to peek behind the curtain and I found a lot of things I wasn't happy with, how they weren't necessarily taking care of the vets proper. They were missing it. And so I was approached by a couple of the folks local and they wanted to do their own thing because they had similar frustrations. And I grabbed Brandy and I said, let's form a 501c3 and let's do it our own way. Um, She went kicking and screaming, but she's gotten really, really good at it. And this is our second version of the the Vet Healing Adventures for us. We, we've we've tweaked some things. We've evolved the program a little bit. Um, for us, we try and focus on the seventy percent or more disabled vet. Um, we take in consideration their length of service and the type of service that they went through. Um, doesn't matter which branch. Um, they all kind of chewed some of the same dirt eventually, mm-hmm. and we we look for guys that are either really struggling and need a distraction and they hit the top of the list um we got a guy that's coming out and i don't i can't say he's struggling he sounds like a really great guy but he's a double amputee and he, he wears a t-shirt that says i went to iraq got blown up and all i got that was a stupid t-shirt there he is <laughs> with, with missing his legs now he's he's in a good headspace um we had a group um, that was going to try and get a track chair donated to him and in conversation with him getting come out, found out he already has a track chair. And he's gone through several modifications, so he's very partial to his chair. Oh, yeah. Um, he's got it spun up to be about as fast and durable as it possibly can be. <laughs> um, so I'm really interested to see him come out and hunt in our terrain a little bit. Oh, I am too, because it sounds like he took his little track chair and turned it into a Raptor. Typical of guys of that age, they have to modify their truck. Right. Right? Well, this is his truck. Hey, I, you know what? I, good on him. Double amputee and he's driving. So I would from like to Pennsylvania. S- from Pennsylvania. I'd like to see his vehicle because there's probably some modifications. It's special built. I'll guarantee it. Ah, it's like when you're a little kid, you just put blocks on the pedals, right? I mean, and not all the disabilities are necessarily you know loss of a limb. Um, there's many many things that contribute to a service connected disability rating, but we're really just looking for the camaraderie, building friendships. And taking some guys that deserve it mm-hmm. out on an adventure. No, I'm and I'm looking forward to being part of it. Now, one of the things that we did over the weekend while we while we had Rob here, um, one of the things that he's been really big into the last three years, and and, and I'm not like I'm not trying to turn this into like the Rob show, but uh, we my my daughter's boyfriend is is really into the 3D printing. And we got the file and we started 3D printing PD10s. 
Didn't you do the first resin one right here? I believe so. Um, I, I do think it is the very first uh, resin print. Nice. Um, came out really, really well, and I'm going to spend a little bit of time very carefully putting all the parts together and, and putting all the guts into it. Uh, and, and I was going to try and shoot it. Uh, I was going to try and do it this week, but I think I'm going to wait uh, until we're at Summit. Rob's going to be there. And we can do it together. So curious. And I don't mean to pin you down. If you don't know, that's cool. But how does this activity deviate from, like, say, a Class 7 FFL? So uh, to my knowledge, and and don't quote me on this because I'm not really on the up and up, but I know um, private manufacturer, as long as you're not selling it, uh, it, it's something that's perfectly legal. Okay. Is there any blackout states where, obviously, the... Other side has there, got the there are blackout or? states oh, yeah. for printing yes. the actual base of it. Um, the frame of it. Yeah. yeah, the frame. So I know he was talking to us about Denver, not the whole state of Colorado yet, but the city of Denver. It is illegal to print it. Interesting. Yep. So, so, so he, forget putting guts in it. They can't make the plastic. So private use, non-commercial entity, do you have to serialize them? Um. If I understand the law correctly, and like I said, I, I don't quote me on this because I'm not really up on it. Um, if now you can you can sell these, but at that point you do have to serialize it and go through an FFL for the transfer. So it'll be a form one to a transfer, then it'd be legal. I'm not sure you even have to form one it because it's not it doesn't fall under NFA. You're not going to get serial numbers unless you are an FFL. No, you can create your own serial number, but it just mm. it has to have a traceable serial number. Interesting because. Class 7 can do that right? as a manufacturer. But right. we have to pay for serial numbers assigned. Right. And, Interesting. And I, and I don't think that's the case with printed. Um, however, most of these guys, I don't, I don't know of anybody that's, that's ever sold one that they've made. Well, fair enough. And I'll, I'll refrain from talking cursive much longer because we're going to have Rob at Summit, and we can do this podcast again and get into it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, there's going to be some definite podcast going on at summit so be looking forward for that um you're going to probably see most of those coming out in late september early october um because we're, we're going to have so many guests that we can we can speak to at summit that are going to be able to dig into uh so many aspects of the of the firearms world that they are they are the true experts so i'll throw a plug out deer shooter's been on for a while now we're at episode what? Uh, I think this one's 33. 33. That's, that's a substantial amount of content. And we're going to reach a point, maybe, maybe not, there we're going to be looking for things to talk about. I think reaching out to these manufacturers and letting them have a little bit of showcase wouldn't be a bad place for our listeners to hear. No, I, I agree. And that's what Ballistic Summit's all about, too, is, is getting exposure to these manufacturers that... that a lot of people, sometimes even in the industry, you've never even heard of. True. Very true. Um, I think that's one of the best parts uh, about Ballistic Summit. You know, you talked about the camaraderie and and bringing everybody together, and everybody gets to, to meet people that they otherwise wouldn't. Um, people become friends. Uh, you know, you, you, you talk a lot about you do business with your friends, and, and that's absolutely true. Um, so an event like this, being able to broadcast it in a sense through the, through Deer Shooter, 
I think is just going to add another level to what Summit already is. I agree. So pay attention when this one cycles back to Summit because you're going to hear some new stuff. You are. And and also, um, I'm going to throw a plug out here dude, because at Summit, so this will be next Thursday, um, watch for Personal Defense Network. Uh, Derek Poole and Barrett Kendrick do a show called Training Talk on PDN. Now, that Thursday, uh, we will be on Training Talk with, with Derek and Barrett. It's going to be Rob and myself and Jason Wilson. We're going to be talking about Lucid Blue. Ah, good, 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 good. Um, it's time. So, yeah, the science behind it and the hurdles that you had to overcome to create a reflex optic in blue. And, and it's been a long road. I wouldn't say we've perfected it, but we've, we've proved the concept that it can be done. Yeah. Which the industry said no to for years. Well, and I, I, I think they said no just because red and green were out there and everybody was happy with it and that was the accepted standard. And Why change? No, they said no because of the coatings on the lens. The <clears throat> actual first one we got was in Barney Purple because they didn't change the coatings, but they changed the color. That would actually be kind of cool. I got to tell you, I'm impressed. Brandy just pulled out like some cursive speak. <sighs> she did. It was kind of half and half. You no, have you, been paying attention. No, you you dropped a flat-out factoid grenade. That's right. Um, but, but how many times have you heard somebody tell you they can't because of whatever reason, and it's just out of sheer laziness? Can't usually means I don't want to. Right. Right. And I just don't accept that. Right. But that was one of the things. Now, for those of you that care or are interested, um, I just had a, an article drop in PDN about the blue and the science behind it and why. And one of the things that I talked about was that was one of the major hurdles was the coatings uh, because the existing coatings would not reflect the blue. It's a way separate wavelength. And I'm not going to get too much lost in the weeds here tonight, but red and green are very similar. You can get away with the same coatings. Right. Um, as far as the spectrum goes, um, blue, it's on the really, really fast side of the visible. So it's a whole different ball game. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and I've had a lot of fun, you know. One of the one of the first things that actually drew me to Lucid was uh, there was a point that um, I'm almost embarrassed to admit at this point. I I showed up to a Lucid event and I had a Vortex on my AR, and for twenty minutes, thirty minutes, I I, I happened to just look in the back of my truck and my my AR was gone, and. And I looked back again, and, and it miraculously showed back up, but it had a different optic on it. I was tired of watching you screw it up all day. Really? Yes. <laughs> you, you, you had a hard time shitting on a bathtub with that optic. So uh, I, I turned on the reticle, and to my surprise, it was blue. It is for the light environments on the, that one specifically, but the reticle geometry for what we were doing that day mm -hmm. was vastly superior for what you needed. Mm hmm and and now well i i have one actually sitting on the counter right now because we're we were we're going to get up and do some testing uh between three or four different optics to see what's actually faster and 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 test like how much faster the blue really is i'm expecting somewhere between 15 to 25% faster that's been my so far testing results Yes. Um, 
you know, one of the things that I, you and I discussed, I, I really wish that I could get a camera that could see what I'm seeing through the reticle as I'm going through these drills. Um, unfortunately, like I said, the, the, the bad thing about that is, is you, as a viewer, you, you can see the video and everything, but you can't, you can't see the, what I'm perceiving through that um, at the moment. There is a company who does that. We took them to Africa. Tacticam has an apparatus that will allow you to do that. The problem with it is it's it's not incredibly durable for target-to-target fast action. Typically, it's on a uh, high-magnification optic, and it's very still. Um, doing what we're going to be doing with the combat-style optics, the competition red dots and prismatics and things like that, it's just you're going to see the performance of the shooter escalate. Mm-hmm. They're going to rapidly evolve into a much more confident, more accurate, faster shooter. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking forward to it. Um, and it, so much of that is something that will never translate through video because it has to do with what the shooter is seeing and their perception. Correct. And that's something that you'll never capture on video is what what is actually going through their mind as they're as they're seeing this stuff and how fast their brain is reacting to it. Well, you're awful chatty, so as you go through it, speak. I I can speak, but I'm going to be busy. You can do both. It's only going to take like 12 seconds. You talk in your sleep. There's a lot of things that only take 12 seconds. We'll get him to do a, an after action after he runs a few of it a little while. And while you can't get the exact direct visual response from what we're going to produce, you'll see it in the speed and accuracy in which what happens. Um, now, Jason's a good shooter. It's going to enhance that a little bit. Um, I'm interested to take it to Summit and put it in the hands of a novice. That's my goal at Summit this year is to put this in the hands of somebody that doesn't get to use this very often. And do we have a novice? We've got a couple of them that don't shoot this way. So, yeah, we do. Okay. I'm definitely interested to see that. Um, it, you know, and he, I know one of the other big things that I've got to get done, I've, I've, I've got a new hunting rifle that I just finished a build on that I need to get sighted in and ready to go because... As you said before, hunting season's beyond. Uh, it, it, it's on us now. TikTok, it's here. Uh, I know. So if I don't get this done this week, I guess it's going to Summit. Yeah, we'll we'll get you tuned up a little bit at Summit, so you don't have to embarrass yourself in front of a crowd. I'm going to embarrass myself anyway. That's what I do. You can't embarrass yourself because you have no shame. <laughs> well, you know, hey, <laughs> there's that. Uh, well, you know, the no shame thing. You know, baby, it's the best twelve seconds of your life. Yeah. <laughs> he uses that word best. See, and one of my pet peeves is when anybody says it's the best. No, it's different. And if it works for you better, it's better, but it's not the best. I don't believe in the best. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. Um, and uh, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to go back to my class on Friday. I had a shooter show up. Um, woman and good shooter um and i i threw a lot of concepts at her that she'd never even considered or heard of before uh but she walked into the class and pulled the gun out and when i first saw it i i, I thought it was one of the big staccatos uh this thing was huge it was a 10 millimeter and she's a big gun she's huge uh it was big for me and she struggled and I kind of let it go on for about an hour. And then I said, okay, what else do you got? 
And she said, well, I have my little 380 that I, I love to shoot. Cool. Um, she pulls out an LCP 380. Sharp recoil, pocket mm-hmm. pistol. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, shot shot that okay. Um, not as well as I thought she could. So I handed her my Hellcat, and she fell in love with it. Good pistol. Found a gun that fit her and that uh, didn't have the sharp recoil, that wasn't too big for her. Um, I know by the end of the class, I, I uh, her husband, she was texting her husband back and forth while we were in this class, and by the end of the class, she said, I'm going to go buy one of these, and, and her husband made sure she was to let me know that he doesn't like me anymore. You probably get that a lot, though. I do. I do, especially in the women's classes, because so many show up, and, and this is something that I really kind of put on the industry because they market these smaller guns, they make them in pink, and they, they, oh, this is a woman's gun, it's a great starter gun, it's a great beginner gun. And the fact of the matter is, most of these small pocket pistols, because that's that's the category they really fall into, they are an expert's gun because the recoil is so sharp. Well, and they're tough to shoot. Shorter the barrel, that sight radius is a problem. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's not a beginner's gun. The smaller they are, the more you have to be on your A-game. Absolutely. Um, and, and so many of these guns, even even the grip is so small that even for, you know, consider yourself, a, you know, you get you get a woman that has small hands um, and even someone that it may fit their hand relatively well. OK, their their pinky's still coming off of it if they don't have the extended magazine that makes it harder to control. Uh, you've got a. a a vastly reduced round capacity. Most of these are six shots, maybe seven if you're lucky. And you've got the same recoil out of that nine millimeter cartridge that, you know, I'm absorbing in a, they call it a micro nine, but it's really not. It's more probably a subcompact with that, that Hellcat Pro that I carry. I have a lot more mass to absorb that recoil than these little nine millimeters. Agreed. Hey. They've bridged the gap. Recently, you've seen these smaller pistols come into the mix. The Hellcat, the 360, 365, is it? Mm-hmm. Um, large ammo capacity, decently built. They're not super tiny, but they're not big either. They've kind of found that middle ground. Mm-hmm. No, they have. They're, they're, they're great for concealment, um, but they still kind of pack the punch of, of a bigger gun. Agreed. Um no, I th- I think the where where the nine millimeters have gone in the last decade is is right where they should be. So, a word of advice, you know, if you're if you're going shopping for your wife, your girlfriend, your daughter, to go buy them their gun, especially their first gun, my advice is is go to a range retail range, something where they can try some things out before they buy, because I see so many women that they go and they buy a gun or their husband bought them a gun or their dad bought them a gun or boyfriend or whatever and and they they saw it in the store and it was it was pink and it was purple it was cute and they shoot it and they hate it and it turns them off to shooting and this is what i want to stop now i remember you went through that exact same evolution a few years back on a holiday you took brandy in to buy her a pistol um and they loaded the tray up with a bunch of different types and the ones that we would have thought would have been the one, um, she chose one that we never would have suspected. Right. And that was kind of an odd thing, too. Um, 
it ended up being a VP9SK, so the, the smaller version, the subcompact version. And when I pointed it out to you, uh, your first reaction to that HK was to punch me in the face. Yeah, because the very first time I shot an HK was at one of those retail ranges where you rent a gun. And it took, like, when you pulled the trigger, it was like dial-up internet. You could have made a sandwich, had lunch before the damn thing went off. She's talking about the USP from HK. It is a hammer-fired firearm, and it's big. And it didn't fit you. And that trigger pull, unless you had the hammer back, was obnoxious. Yeah. And and to be fair, I have one in the safe. I carried it for three years when I was when I was contracting and, and I love that gun. Like that that was my gun. But she she makes a lot of valid points. That that first initial double action trigger pull, yeah, you just you, you go make a sandwich and come back and then it's going off. But well, she uh, put that on the brand mm-hmm. and really was kinda skeptical before she picked it up and tried it. Right. But had you not actually shot it, you probably would have never chose that gun out of the case. No, and actually I didn't get to shoot this one because they didn't have a sample. But they did let me dry fire. And I'm like, oh, I can do that. Plus, it's the exact same color as my AR, so I've got... It did match. I'm glad you went there. So how much was the color of the firearm a driving factor of, I'm taking this one home? Actually, for me, it really wasn't because I was like, oh, that's really pretty. Oh, it's an HK. Not going to do it. So you completely turned off color regardless. Yep. Nice. So you dry fired it. It fit. But because I had experience. If I had not had the experience, the color would have driven it. Interesting. Okay. So color does matter. Okay. And that's fair. Um, Really, it wasn't really girly. It's bronze. Oh, I wasn't saying girly. I just what what in your decision matrix because to me colors are relevant. Well, the the trigger pull was really nice. It did fit really well. And after I did actually fire it, I really really do like it. So all the tools and mechanics are in your available reach. Yeah, nice. See, that's another thing. Where is the mag release? Right. Where is the slide lock? Mm-hmm. How do you manipulate that? Well, the HK, you have to get used to it. So I was shooting Springfield before, and so it's a button mag release. Most pistols are. On, the, on American-made, but this yes. is European. And the HK and, and my Walther both, the mag release is in the trigger guard. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a different discipline you have to learn. Now, and, and to be fair, uh, you know, let, let's take this a step further, okay, because... You you bought this gun. You you fell in love with it. You trained with it. You've you've gone out and actually done realistic training with it, and 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 I'm not going to say that this was necessarily a defensive context, but I I remember a couple of years ago you had to take out a raccoon that one of our dogs was tangling with, and you put nine rounds into this thing without hitting the dog. I think I had help from upstairs, but yeah, it, it happened. So judicious marksmanship mm-hmm. when necessary. So, but but I think if you had a gun that didn't quite fit you, that you weren't quite comfortable with, I don't think you could have accomplished that. Not under the stress you were under at the time. I'd agree with that. But I wasn't shooting that then. The nine mil. That wasn't what that was. No, I always take the the little twenty two, the Ruger. 
You didn't have it at that point. Way to ruin his story. No, I'm pretty sure it was the HK because I went and picked up rounds after you were done. I went. It could also been my 380. I don't think I've taken my HK out for that. Maybe that was the 380 then, but I. Which is a Walther, same thing. Okay, so basically (laughs) the same design, um, but again another gun that you're extremely comfortable with, Um, and that's what the PK 380. Yes. It's a good gun. It's as a starter gun. A kid's or a woman's gun, it has a lot of things that build good shooter discipline. And it fits the small hands. It does. And it's got, you know, you've got reduced recoil because, I mean, basically you're, you know, like we've said before, a 380 is a 9mm short. Um, one thing, I, you know, if I wasn't so heavily invested in the 9mm, I'd probably go with a 380 for a carry gun. I would never feel undergunned. The distances that a defensive situation comes in, 380 is just fine. Don't listen to the FUDs that tell you that 380 is not enough. It's just fine. It's 200 feet a second slower than a 9 mil. It shoots the same projectile. Right. It's just fine. Right. So with that, um, I hope everybody has a great holiday weekend. Um, Go out, barbecue, get on the lake for the last time. Um, Have your campfires. Roast your marshmallows because I don't think we can. I think we're under a fire ban. Yeah, that's going to be bad. Um, so, yeah, camping is going to suck. But, uh, yeah, I mean, until next week, I mean, get out, go shoot, go do something. Be outside because we're not going to have this weather much longer. And until next week, keep blaming the gun. 